Hello and welcome to the Red Robin Podcast, powered by Budget Tires Auto Centre and 360 Chartered Accountants, the independent Hulkington Rovers podcast. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Red Robin Podcast Weekly. Good Friday saw a rampant Robin side put our relegation threatened neighbours to the sword with a comprehensive 14-0 victory helping cement our top four spot. And with the World Club champions up next, confidence is soaring. Podcast regular James Perlin joins me to share his thoughts on Rovers' demolition derby. And Johnny Lou from the Ramblings of the Saint podcast joins me to cast an eye of our Rovers' round nine fixture against St Helens. Before we introduce Johnny, James, um, we had a few days over the Easter uh, bank holiday to savour that victory and going into work on, on Tuesday morning... Um, on the back of a rampant Robins victory, it's always a sweet feeling in the city of Hull, isn't it? Oh, it was just it was just magnificent. Still, 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 so on on a cloud cloud nine here. Still can't really believe it happened, but it happened, and yeah, it was just absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and of course we're on YouTube and Facebook Live, live uh, going on to podcast right <clears throat> after Matt Brady, Michael Morton joining us so far. Thanks for joining us. Now, usually. Regular listeners, viewers to the podcast will know is that we introduce the uh, the away fans view or uh, an independent view in the in sort of second half of the podcast. But Johnny, the St. Ellen's fan, was so keen to come <laughs> on and uh, give his opinion on uh, our our rivals that he's agreed to do the the full podcast. So Johnny, welcome <laughs> to the to the Red Robin podcast. It's great to have you on. Ramblings Cheers, of the Saints podcast. Um, you, you're uh, you're making lots of fans on on Twitter. I see lately. Uh, oh, ev- everyone's uh, everyone's <laughs> adoring me at the minute. Lots of uh, lots, especially from the black and white part of your city. They they adore me at the minute. Um, <laughs> from all the um, all the tweets I've been doing about Hull KR and all the positivity that's been coming from the club the past couple of years and the demise of Hull FC that is so sad for the rugby league world but so great from other fans perspectives because yeah. Yeah. there's nothing better than than a good old fan meltdown as as a lot of people have seen through through yeah. every fan base <laughs> and johnny what surprises me mostly is that you know with them having six fingers on each hand that they're able to type a sentence let alone get an internet connection in west Hull. it's uh, it's amazing that they're able to combine them two things and still Get, uh, spew out this bile towards you when all you're doing is putting a, a reasoned argument across about why they are in demise and why they are so shit. Exactly, mate. Exactly, and and I even give them pointers to little errors that the clubs making, and they still don't like it. They still just think they're going to wake from this slumber, and there's there's nothing in that recipe to wake them up from. There's no, you know, there's no true love's kiss, no true love kiss that Tony Smith can give. So. The, the goose at the minute and they need they need a shake up from top to bottom which yeah. is kind of what all KR have done for the past few years really they kind of realized the mistakes after they got relegated and they went no we need to start pumping money in let's take it off the sale let's get more investment let's invest in the right areas both off the field and on the field they're attracting you know NRL talent in Tom Opacic that shouldn't really be playing in Super League at the minute and it's just it, it just seems like a club on the up at the minute. So <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah, and they might not have put the uh, the final nail in the coffin, but they certainly put another nail in the coffin of Hull FC. Johnny, while you're on, I'm going to start off with the most boring argument in Super League, and it's about which is the biggest derby. Now, I know <laughs> for a fact I can't stand that argument because it, 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 it's, it's boring. It's, yeah. But what I would say is that each derby or rivalry is unique and... and mm. I know, you know, St. Helens fans love to spew this fact about a horse race and Lord Derby yeah. and all this, which is valid. It's a point. <clears throat> but for me, the most intense rivalry is the City of Hull because I know for a fact um, when when St. Helens fans go to Wigan, they go on organised coaches because of the distance and all stuff like this. When Hull FC, Hull KR fans go to their games, they're walking side by side. They're going home, so the families are split down the middle. When I finished the derby on Good Friday, I was in the pub. Half the pub was all FC, half the pub was all KR. Some people were sat together. And the intensity of that rivalry, for me, says it's it's not the biggest, but it's the most intense. Yeah, well, like like you like you kind of said, every every derby is unique in that way. And I'm going to sound a bit like Rio Ferdinand. Like, let's just let's just enjoy them. You know, why why have we got to have these arguments all the time of which is the biggest derby? The only reason I put tweets out like that is just because, you know, it gets bites off all FC fans. That's pretty much it. That's the only reason I have a tweet about that and a tweet about the horse racing because it, it's, it is a fact that that's what happened. But at the end of the day, a rivalry is unique to the person. So for you, it is the biggest rivalry. For me, Saints and Wigan's the biggest rivalry and there's no... Two ways that we could even argue that, but I think the biggest one that will put bums on seats, as in eyes on the screen, would be Saints and Wigan, but that's only because of the actual names of the two clubs and the success we've had over the years. I think as a derby in itself, it all depends on the fan bases. You know, I've, I know Witness fans that think Witness and Warrington's the biggest rivalry in in rugby league, I just I just don't buy into the boring argument. I just like to enjoy them, and you know both games are spectacles each time for one reason or another. Yeah. So Johnny, I was going to say James just before you come in, and then you could come in yeah. after me. So Johnny, when League Express put this list of ten ten uh, derbies together, you don't buy into League Express and, and what they say. I. I do not read that publication. I do not have anything to do with that publication because it is a load of tosh and everything they pump out is just drivel. So I, I, I've even muted them on Twitter just because of the amount of clickbait bullshit that they put out. I just I just can't stand them and they do articles like that because it gets clicked and I don't want to give them any of my money. Well, any of their advertising revenue off my click. So <laughs> that's my opinion on them. <laughs> James, go on, mate. No, I'm just going to say I agree with that. You know, I think you, you, we can argue till the cows come home about which is the biggest derby, but you're right. It, it depends on where, where you're living. You know, for, for Johnny, you know, clearly, you know, we're going to say it's the biggest one, but for, for me, you know, the Hull and Rovers, and I'm, I'm, I'm of a certain vintage where, you know, I, I remember the early 80s, mid-80s, when, you know, the Hull clubs were regularly in finals and sort of filling out filling out stadiums, you know, for, for finals. And it, it, you thought, you wonder, it'd never end, but... For me, the raw is intense, and that intensity has never really gone away. I think even when we we're in the in the in the second division, I remember going to the Bulltree Park, and you know we beat them on their patch. Mike Fletcher saw and saw above to score a try in the last minute. 
you know, that there's probably about six to six or seven thousand there that day. But you know, there was still that rivalry. And but as you say, John, you know, you go home to you know, you, you walk home together, you go to the game together, you walk home together, you go home to split families, you know, we've got it in our own family. Um, you know, went went to pick my missus up from um my, my stepson's and his wife was already home. I think she 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 left after sixty minutes. <laughs> was it <laughs> stayed that long? Yeah, I think she did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, James, let's focus on the derby now because it was a comprehensive 40-0 victory, wasn't it? Yeah. Um I know the, the, the derby, you know, the rivalry, a lot of things are out the window, form goes out the window, etc. <laughs> et but there weren't many people who could make a case for Hull FC getting a victory on Good Friday. But credit to Hull FC, the fans, they must have gone in hope that something can happen because we have seen in the derby previously, you know, form does yeah. go out the window and the craziest things happen. Good Friday, it didn't. Rovers yeah. absolutely dominated. And I suppose if we start off with the starting lineup, nobody predicted that Sam Wood would be lining up on the right wing. No, no, you know, I was sort of going, thought Senior would be in there straight away, you know. But I mean, fair due to, to Sam, he came in, did a, did a job, had a couple of brain farts, but uh, yeah, he did a job. But, you know, like you say, it is a cliche about the form, but going out the window on for for these Hull uh, derbies, and you know, I must admit, I was a bit going to the state, you know, the ground a bit with a bit uh, bit anxious because I thought, you know, Rovers of old would have gone there and had all the form really playing into it against Hull without any form going into it, and they they just caved in. But you know, like I say, they did a thoroughly professional job on them. Didn't give give them, give them the sniff. Of even getting a, you know, getting a point, just didn't give him a sniff at all. Even got himself down to ten men, you know, twelve men for ten minutes. Still couldn't score, and, and they never even like scoring. So, yeah, I think this the Rovers team we've got this season is certainly different. So, certainly got up to a different level. Yeah, and Johnny, from an outsider's point of view, it's very difficult to make a case for Hull FC to get a victory. You know, take away all the facts; it's a rivalry, derby, <clears> whatever. On paper, it's very difficult to make an argument prior to the prior to kick off on Good Friday. On on paper, it's the difference between black and white, as as the old <laughs> saying would go. But it was like I, I said before the game that you know say that uh, OKR would put at least twenty four on them. I think I predicted twenty eight. Um, margin points wise I just couldn't see Hull FC even breaking from this rut I think the they don't have the character for it in their squad to bounce back they're playing at home and for some reason the home that used to be a fortress is now just like anyone's going over there and putting points on them and it's like I think uh, me and Andrew Foster did a podcast and it was something like they've had more points by like They've lost by more than 50 points at home in the last three years, more than they had in like the last 60 or something ridiculous like that. Like something's going on at that club and I just couldn't see it. And when you put them on paper together, you've got like Minchella, uh, Tom Opacic, who, like he, like I said before, he's got no right to be in Super League. And the just man for man, there's not many... Hull FC players I'd have taken over Hull KR, apart from Jake Clifford, but even he can't do anything in this Hull FC side. It's like it's like it's sapped all the energy out of 
every single player. There's there's that toxicity, and when a club's that rotten, there's no way of them getting a result. And I, I just kept putting it and saying it like it's like you say the form guy goes out the window, but it, it can only go so far. It's up to the characters of the players, and I just don't think that club has any um, real character about it. Which is unfortunate because yeah. that's what Hull FC always used to have. <clears throat> well, no, Johnny, it's not unfortunate. It's fucking, it's welcome. You know, it's been going on for a long time and, and uh, the longer it does go on, um, mm. yeah, the, the happier we'll be. But James, <laughs> when, when, we, when we look at um, character and we talk about big players, uh, Johnny's already, already mentioned Tom Ovechick. Ryan all got the first try. I mean, Michael Lewis did absolutely fantastic, didn't he, to get that pass out to, to Ryan Hall for, for Ryan Hall for the easiest try he's probably ever going to score. But Michael Lewis, to have oh. three men on him to, to, to scramble yeah. that pass out. It, it does. It does. I think we've said it before on this on this podcast that, you know, he's, that's, he's, he's, a, for, he's got a lot of strength for, 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 a, for a scrum half. And he certainly showed it on, uh, on, on Friday. And I think... He's one player who I think is getting better and better every game. I think when he first couple of games at the start of the season, he probably wasn't hitting the heights we'd, we'd come to expect from him last, towards last season. But I think now, and I think on Friday, and I watched the game back afterwards, and I don't think I really appreciated at the time how, what, a, what a cracking game he had on Friday. Only when you watch it back, you know, it's just in everything. And like I say, that pass to get out to Ryan Hall, it was just, it was just unbelievable, really. Yeah. And Johnny, I mean, obviously you you've seen uh, young halfbacks do well. You look at Lewis Dodds, um, Michael. I know a lot of Saints fans are almost Mate, opening their arms. I, I, I cannot, Lewis. I cannot say enough. Thank you very much for developing Johnny Lomax's replacement. He's doing a <laughs> superb job. <laughs> Johnny's thirty, what thirty three this year? So I don't, you know, I think. Uh, I think retirement will be will be coming up close in the next couple of years. So, I'd love to see Mickey Lewis come and play six or seven if Dodd leaves, um, over to Australia. I think he is one of England's top talents. I I said it. I've said it for the past couple of years, and you know, I know his dad's quite close with Paul Schofield. So hopefully, hopefully we've got a little agent there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be messaging his dad to be fair. If, if that's the case, I'll be messaging him. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's just rumours going round the Saints, <laughs> Saints speckies. I don't know how true it is. I think I think they might have played golf once, maybe. But um, no, I don't. I don't know how true that is. But uh, hopefully, we can get a deal done because he is a top talent. And um, I think, I think with the England international coming up at the end of the month. They'll be wanting to try out new names because obviously we've got a bit of an aging international squad and I think he should be at least in with a shout of potentially making the extended squad, if not maybe even making the um, starting seven spot his own with George Williams. And and I, I just think that the world's his oyster, honestly. If he, if he doesn't take the step up to like a club like Saints with our sort of history and that I think I think the NRL will come knocking pretty soon because I, I cannot praise that kid enough. He is sensational. Yeah. I won't pick you up on it, Johnny. I know you said a, a step up to a club like that. Let's go on to Tom Opperchick's uh, try against Hull FC. I mean Jordan Abdul 
renowned kicker. He's absolutely getting smoke blown up his ass everywhere he goes for his <coughs> kicks. We saw it against Lee Drano's James. Yeah. He puts up a massive bomb. Jamie Shaw, who should have probably been nowhere near that uh, game on Friday, he's playing because of sex toys injury. Um, <coughs> Luke James Shaw comes in, fucks up again. It's not yeah. the first time, although he has put us to the sword on a number of occasions. So, um, you know, it's good to what goes around comes around. But puts the eye bomb in, he mucks up, and then we go on. Opperchick throws that dummy. I mean, nobody's really mentioned that dummy, that Opperchick yeah. uh, throughout. Um, no. Outrageous. It was outrageous. It was, it was he put, he put, basically put somebody into the second route. Into, 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 I think it was, was it Griffin. Griffin. Yeah, I think Yeah, absolutely sent him in. To no man's yeah. land goes yeah. over for the try, and uh, to be fair, at the start of the game, James going into a derby like this, going into an important game when you're bringing back players like Sean Kenny Dowell and Tom Omachik, uh, two experienced pros. Let's not forget, mm. Opacek would have been in a grand final last year yeah. if he didn't get injured. Um, cool as a cucumber, throws a dummy, goes in for a try, and um, no more than he's deserved, probably, James, over his because of his form. During the course of the season so far, yeah, I totally agree. I think he's another player who's just getting better and better every week. <clears> and it's not—I don't think it's really been sort of highlighted enough. But for me, it's just the the, the defensive solidity he brings to that right edge. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, we—you know—our right edge was the stuff that has been the stuff of nightmares for years. Fine on the left, you know, with 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 Hall and, and Lynette and Kenny Dowell, but the right edge has just been like a leaky sieve. And now we've got Bachelor out there. We've got Opacek out there, and it, it, you, you just you know nobody's going to get through that side. And it's it just it's just it's just great to see. We're just solidly solid defensively from across the whole field, and I think you know Opacek and uh, Bachelor have got to take a lot of credit for that. But actually, it's, it's probably I think it's obviously Brett Delaney and the, and the structures that he's putting in place. You know, that's sort of helping to do that as well. So no, I think Opacek is certainly getting better and better every. Every week and just showing the class player that we know we, we you know we we're expecting, and as as Johnny said, you know, considering his age, we've got no right to have him playing for us. You know, in, in the Super League, he, he could easily do a do a, a decent job for a, a top NRL team. It's like um, well, it's like I've, well, he, he, you've mentioned his defensive game. That was what he was renowned for mm. over in Australia was his defensive game, and also his attitude. Yeah. Um, his attitude over there is phenomenal. I, I think it was 18 months ago. I mentioned on one of my podcasts his um, brother. It was either his brother or a very close family member died. And they mentioned it on commentary. And the next day they had a really big game. And obviously um, it, the coach at the time, he, he said, he went, look, he went, it's okay. We, we'll leave you out the squad. And he went, no, I want to play. He'll... He, he wants me to, he, he'll want me to play, <clears throat> played and scored. And uh, I think they ended up going on to win. But I remember him scoring and next thing he like pointed up to the heavens. And that to me was just like, it shows the character of the bloke and, and how much he loves playing rugby league and how much it means to him and his family. Yeah. And I think, I, I, it's like I said, if it weren't for that hamstring injury, Last year, in the first week of the finals against Penrith, he'd have been playing against Penrith in the in the grand final. He is an NRL quality player. He turned down multiple NRL offers, including an extension at Para because he wanted a break from Australia. And you guys matched the money, so it was it was a simple 
simple transfer decision for him. And I think I think him as a player is an absolute asset. And you have Eddie Hearn talking about big characters and, you know, we can't name one rugby league player. He is someone for me that should be the flagship of our sport, the likes of him. Um, even Lachlan Coote, who's, you know, been there, done it, won everything over in Australia and over here. Then you've got the likes of Jack Wellsby, a young English character, a young English person. You've got you've got so many personalities that can be these flagship people, and Tom Opperchick is right up there because he's got the ability to do it and he's got the character, charisma, and he's just an all round top, top person, top professional. I adore the I adore him. I genuinely do. Even though he played for Para and I follow Penrith, he he was still a player that, still a player that I, I always admired and respected, and I was amazed yeah. when it got announced. And we're in an era now where everybody wants to call things early. Uh, I'm going to fall into my own trap, James, but I wouldn't be surprised if he falls into the category of uh, Ben Glee, Clint Newton, Bobby Blair, uh, Kane Lynette, Tom Opacic, you know, yeah. Yeah. quality Aussie quality. imports yeah. who, who have come over, earned a good living, but also yeah. repaid us mm. in buckets. And, and yeah. I think yeah. he's going to fall into that category. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I think one thing that sums up all those guys you mentioned is professional. You know, they've yeah. come on with a professional attitude, want to, you know, prove the worth <laughs> and do a job, and they're, and they're doing it. And Opacic certainly will be up there as well. No yeah. doubt about it. And then following Opacic's penalty on Good Friday, uh, Lachlan Coote slots over another two points, 14 0. Big talking point this week, though, is. Uh, the match review panel, uh, James Batchelor, he paid the price for uh, for a tackle on Clifford. Clifford, obviously, not happy with his tackle. We, he receives a sim binning, goes off for, for 10 minutes. Um, no more points scored in the first half. But let's touch on that point of the match review panel and sim binnings and etc. James, when he first saw that tackle... Um, to be fair, when you're in the stands, you've had a beer, you're, in, you're high on the points, you're not really analysing the game as you, as much as you might do at home behind the TV screen, but it seemed fairly innocuous. When I watched it back when I got home, um, it seemed a little bit innocuous. John Wells on commentary said, well, players have got responsibility to care for each other to make sure that the technique's correct. I get it. They are paid professionals, so there's a, there's a responsibility there. But it still doesn't quite sit right for me, the the penalty. And um, Willie Peters, in his pre-match conference, said, really, there was a little bit in there for us to make an appeal. But the way that it's going at the moment, what's the point? Mm, what's the point? No, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, at the time, I just saw what's going on. And I think, for me, I don't think um, Jack Smith was even going to penalise it until um, Clifford spat his dummy out and started uh, ranting and raving. Um, and it's only when he looked at it on, back on the screen that I said, actually, yeah, there might, might be something in it. But again, I've looked at it a number of times and I cannot see what was wrong with it. What what was what was um, back supposed to do? He was tackling a player and it, unfortunately he got his feet caught <clears> underneath <throat> him. You know, there's nothing there's nothing malicious in it. It was like a, it was a tackle that you'll see, you know, 20, 30 times in a game and nothing ever comes of those. Well, James, just... I, know, I know Johnny's a rugby league aficionado and he's going to tell us now what was wrong with that tackle. Well, it, it's... See, I, I'm... there's differences between the James Batchelor one, the Morgan Smithies one, 
and the Morgan Knowles one that all got charged. But there was a couple in the NRL that were similar to James Batchelor's. There was one last week and James Graham blew up about it. Um, I don't know if you've seen it in commentary on his uh, radio thing and he was going on about it and he's like, that's not a hip drop. And basically it's where the player comes in and the, the tackle that James Batchelor's done is he's hit him face on. But as the momentum of the attack has gone forward, he's then wrapped round to drag him round and then put all of his weight on that knee, which is increases the higher risk of knee injuries that become more common, especially in the NRL recently with penalising them and suspensions. Um, so that's kind of why you got a one-match ban. But I don't, I don't agree with the James uh, Bachelor one. I keep, I keep going to say Joe Bachelor, <laughs> James Bachelor one. Um, because of that, it's the momentum of the attacker that's brought him round that side, rather than him. Yeah, well, that's what got me. That's what got me. There was nothing for me. There's nothing that Bachelor was doing that was forcing that you know that situation. Yeah, it, was all, it, it it's more. more yeah, it was more the momentum of the of the tackle. But the uh, the likes of the Smithies one, where he's coming from behind, and that's got the. I think that got a one match ban as well, didn't it? the Smithies tackle or did he get a fine I can't remember what he got and then you've got the Morgan Knowles one where it's a three man tackle and as the third man comes in Knowles has put his weight onto the knee as the tackle is twisting that then increases the risk of injury to that knee which obviously he has done his ACL um, all these hip drop tackles kind of do that so you've um You've got three different incidences, but they're all charged with the same offence. So, for me, if you want to eradicate that tackle and that tackle tackling technique to stop these knee injuries, every single tackle that's charged as a hip drop tackle should be punished in the exact same way. Um, bar if, in James Batchelor's case, it's the attacker's momentum that's made the defender do it. If it's the one like Smithies where he's chosen to go in at the knees, mm -hmm. if it's one like um, Morgan Knowles where, although it's not intentional, there is that element to it, them sort of tackles should be punished the same. I really don't see how they can give the likes of Morgan Knowles a five-match ban when the guidelines say two to three because of the extent of someone's injury, when all the tackles have the same risk of that injury occurring just because someone's got that injury doesn't mean the risk isn't higher or lower the risk is the exact same so the the, the problems with the inconsistencies with the match review panel is that um if you have previous for the same tackling technique then that's fair enough increase the bands but you have to increase the grade on top of that and it, that's the problem with the match review panel at the minute is the inconsistencies around the board um with sort of the guidelines, what they're doing, and they just seem to pick it out of the hat. Um, and that's the no, problem. It's I, like... I do think as well, Johnny, you're getting into choppy waters when you're starting to, to give bans on the basis of a player's injury because also what's not taken into context is the injury record of the player who's been tackled. Exactly. The, the, Co the, how, many, so how many knee injuries did Cooper get? Yeah. I think Cooper's had about three knee reconstructions before this, so yeah. you, you just add all this. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that giving Morgan Lord was giving five games and the tariff for two to three was just bonkers. And I think it was purely on the basis that he had got Cooper did did his did his ACL, and I think the Arthur were trying to make a 
an example of, of Mills. But also, oh, the, the, the real irony in that as well is that the opposition get no benefit to that ban. Yeah. So the player gets punished for it on the severity of the injury to the player. And, the, and, the, and also, the, if, the, if, the, the if they're taking... If they're taking consideration into injuries and games missed by the player, you know that's that's had that tackle on them. Why has um, O'Neill from O'Brien, sorry, Gaz O'Brien, got taken out seven minutes in? Jake uh, Jake Wardle got ten minutes in the bin, no match suspended, and yet he's missed what eight? Well, seventy-three minutes of one match. And then another match the week later because of that injury. So if you're then saying, oh, well, yeah, the sitting being insufficient, we'll give you a £250 fine. Where's that then? So yeah. he, he then gets no, to play no, in the derby and ended up putting in a really good performance in the derby. So mm. it, it, it's an absolute farce. And the way the match review panel is kind of dishing these out, it's like you say, they're getting into choppy waters because you can't then do one ban uh, what ban one person because of the extent of an injury, and yet the risk is the exact same. If that's why I said I was like, if you're going to do bans for that, it's got to be the same across the board. So the Morgan knows he gets three matches, Smithies get three matches, and the only thing that differs then is the fine or repeat offenders. So as soon as you do it again, right, that's then increased because th there's no way you can you can have a first system um, based on. Based on that, and then you have Wigan fans and Leeds fans tweeting about Morgan Knowles' disciplinary record. He's been charged nine times in the past, I think, what, 18 months or something, which isn't great. But then you consider two of them got appealed, two of them were for late hits, you know, none of them were for this hit drop tackle. And then you have McGilvery putting that video out online, which shows that it is obviously a technique that he's used before so it, it's all just been like it, it just seems to me like they've picked it out thinner they haven't actually considered the impact on the game as a whole with this because you've set a precedent now to be fair johnny you want to see what james has been charged with and what he's never been found guilty of it so don't mean he's a bad lad so you know so it's all in concept but i think you know what he's not my favorite commentator but Bill Arthur made a good point, and you've got to. I think you've always got to rewind back to the fan in the stand, and and he and he basically said, "What is Bachelor supposed to do? He's making yeah, exactly, a exactly. attempt to tackle the man. He wasn't maliciously, maliciously going in, which was quite ironic because only a few moments later you saw Jesse Sue go in and make a tackle. Um, he's saving graces. He went on the thigh. He didn't go below the knee, but. Many people would have looked at that, and I saw Phil Clark screaming "Blue Murder," saying, "Well, why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't Jesse Sue go off?" But relate back to the fan in the stand, and the fan in the stand doesn't always read the guidelines for bannings and all this kind of thing. It's genuinely what people see, what we perceive, yeah. and I think we're getting muddled up and mixed up in all this trying to wear this narrative of, "Well, this player meant this. This is the result. This should be banned on this." And we need to maybe go to a bit more of a simplified system for it because we're left many people left scratching their heads at why X player gets this. We saw it with uh, Sean Kenny Dowell, laid a hand on a player, got a four match ban. We saw Dudson lay a punch on somebody laying prone on the floor. He got one ban uh, one game more in his ban. 
And you're going, well, hang on. If you could lay a punch on someone, Sean K. Dow, you might as well have gone for it then. It's just, mm. there doesn't seem to be any consistency or really much common sense mm. going on. I don't know, Johnny. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? What? How, it, everything gets bla- laid on IMG's door now. IMG will sort it out. IMG, I don't think they can sort this out. I, I, I don't think it. IMG can sort a lot of the problems out in rugby league because them at the top will still have control. And I've said this multiple times. I have no faith whatsoever in the RFL. And the problem is, is they have the final say in everything. So you, you've got a company there that's on a, a profit scheme, basically. They need it to make money. And the people in charge of their suggestions are then having to get it approved by people who have famously lost the sport money over generations, mm. who have famously developed the sport null and void outside the M62, really. We developed it a bit in London. Look at how many amateur clubs have disappeared in London. We get all this lottery funding. Where's it all gone? It's gone into the northwest and Yorkshire. That that lottery funding should go a little bit into them areas, granted, but the bulk of it should be going into the amateur game down south, especially now with rugby union and the way it is at the minute. This is what's so frustrating being a rugby league fan is these problems, like the judiciary panel, are all being done and overseen by people from the RFL and also people who've played the game in the past, but they have no real, like, I don't think they have perception on, on like, like you say, with the consistency. Like, if you're being consistent, then guidelines have to be followed, and they're going off them guidelines, and when they go off them guidelines, that is where everything gets screwed over, because, like you say, the fan in the stands goes, well, why has that happened? Why has Morgan Knowles got an extension when the risk to injury is the exact same? on the Morgan Smithies tackle. Uh, it's just kind of bonkers at the minute. And I, I, who does sort it out? Because I don't think IMG can. I think this has got to be a whole overhaul system. Whether you bring in... I know they have each match, each tribunal as like a, a former solicitor or a judge and whatever. You've got Robert Hicks there. He's a solicitor. He was also a former match referee. You've got a man who ticks both them boxes. Why isn't he in charge of the judiciary panel? So you have people like that. Fucking hell, Johnny. I got you on to talk about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted to come on and talk about LFC. Now he's sat in on the podcast about rugby league. I am... <laughs> well, now now you know why my back... podcast is called The Ramblings of a Saint. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it back, James. James Bachelor. Serves his simbin, he comes back on 47 minutes in. Boom, John Abdul, little short pass. Bachelor goes in for the easiest try he'll ever score. And after being 14 0 up at half time, that takes us to 20 0 with Coop getting the conversion. And at 20 0, 47 minutes in, it's you're feeling it's game over, aren't you? There, you, you are, yeah. You're just thinking, yeah, just you, you know, starting to think how many they're going to get. Because like I say that batch trial was just so easy. We we were starting sat in the west stand, and you could it just looked like you could you could have a double decker bus through that gap, which is that that big. And it was it's beautiful pass from Abdul, and uh, yeah, that was it. Game set and match. And I think also, I mean, you know, let's be honest, Clifford going off is massive. You know, twenty nil. You are going? How are they going to get back into this? Mm. And they did just look at sixes and sevens. You know, mm. easy knock ons. Um, yeah. Before, though, we go on and talk about some other tries. 
Jordan Abdul fucking drop goals. What uh, drop dropouts? What were they? <laughs> we, we we had a bit of a a ten minute brain fart phase, didn't we? There. I mean, like you say, two minutes before half time, you're fourteen nil up. You're down to twelve men. <laughs> you get a dropout. What do you do? Logic says you bang it as far downfield as possible. You don't go for short kickoff. Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell was going on there, but hopefully... Johnny, we'll Johnny, you get away with it once, you don't get away with it twice. Yeah, and no, hopefully we hopefully told him not to do it ever again. <laughs> no. You, you ever seen any uh, a team do uh, two dropouts identical and fail like uh, Rovers do with John Abdul? Uh, well, you see it a couple of times in the NRL, to be fair, because they love a short kickoff, but uh, short dropout even. But uh, it's very, um, it's very rare. And look, thankfully for Rovers, we got away with it because hey, it didn't cost us. And, and yeah. I mean, it probably shows you how shit they are that they couldn't actually <laughs> capitalise on two glorious opportunities yeah. To, yeah. to have uh, six drives at our try line and still not get uh, yeah. a try yeah. on the back of them uh, dropouts. Uh, tries after that, James Lachlan Cook goes in, Ryan Hall, Mikey Lewis, Ryan Hall. I mean, it was a procession of glorious tries, uh, James, after that, wasn't it? I mean, total dominance. And I think we need to give special praise to a very special player, Ryan Hall. Uh, he got three man of steel points, he was in the team of the week. He got mm. three tries, two assists, 250 meters, 29 carries, six tackle busts. I mean, Ryan Hall, Jesus Christ, James. For for a player who's supposed to be coming to the end of his career, he uh, he looks like somebody who's, who's probably in the prime of his career. He does. I mean, he's not bad for an old fat lad, is he? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it was it was just it was just on a different level, and I think it just shows that if you if you look after yourself, you know, you can just carry on playing for as long as your body lets you, and it's just. You know, he's, he's signed another another extension, so he'll have been with us now for four years, and it's just his 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 level just hasn't dropped in that time he's been with us. And for me, you know, although he got you know he got three trials, I think there was that pass inside to Coot that was just it was just that was just out yeah. as well. As well, you know, he, he could easily have gone and done it himself, but no, he sort of drew the defender in, just looped the pass over for Coot to go and oppose. And it was it was just like a cavalry charge on that second half down that left hand edge. I mean, I don't think the you know, sort of, um, was it McIntosh or Swift, Swift and um, Swift and Trim of Harvey down that side? I think they'll be having nightmares about just seeing red and white coming streaming towards them because they just every time they got the ball, just shifted it to the left, they just ripped them to shreds, and it was it was absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, and Johnny, I mean, you'll have seen it first, and and you've seen it for years and years when we talk about culture and and professionalism. You mentioned Tom Opacek, you know, what he brings from the NRL. We've got, you know, players like Sean Kennedy, Ryan Hall, you know, about culture, about professionalism, about how to play the game. There's not many players in Super League who can who can say that they're doing what he's doing because he's, he's you know, when he came over from Sydney Roosters, many people thought it was a spent force. He's really reimagined his game and the fact that he's the poster boy, I think, for the mid-season international against France. Yeah. Tells you where his standing is probably with Sean Wayne at the moment. Yeah, it probably does. It's a it's a strange one with Ryan Hall because he went over to Australia and he was so injury prone. I mean, in them two years, he played like 13 games. 
And like, I'm not gonna lie, I wrote him off when he signed for you guys. Even though he was, I think he was only like 29 or 28 when he signed for you. He was still uh, like, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, he was 20, yeah. 29 when he went over, wasn't he? Yeah. So like, he, he was 31. He'd just come back from, well, back end of the season he played, but he had a knee reconstruction, I think, over there, and it was like he lost most of his pace, but like you said, he, he's changed his game. A bit like Josh Charnley has for Lee, the way the way he plays now. It's very much on about size and um and pace and power and power rather than pace. Um and I I, I like you said, that, that pass inside to Coot rather than the old Ryan Hall I think could have gone for it. I think that's also the maturity of him. Um I think him at Leeds would have probably gone for it down the line and tried to beat the man for pace, but he's kind of like you say, developed his game and developed his head. And um, his awareness seems to be to be very very good, and also he's brought that winning culture as well. He won, you know, everything there is to win over here with Leeds, and um, and I think that really helps. And obviously you've got Danny Maguire behind the scenes as well that that also helps that culture. And and I think that was kind of the start of of that culture was with Danny Maguire and then now now obviously with Ryan Hall it's 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 great to see him back at his best as well because when he, he is a player that you kind of like you say he is a poster boy of the game so I think especially that England team and I've got no doubt as well he only signed that one year contract extension because he's chasing down Danny Maguire's try scoring record mm. I think uh, he's a bit too point. far off that but you know he is hey, chasing well, he, he could be playing till 40. He's definitely, yeah. I reckon, he's definitely. One thing as well, James, what I thought was really important during the game, and, and it's been a big criticism of Rovers, I think we're fed uh, in Supley for most missed conversions. But the quality of Lachlan Coates kicks and the fact that he kept kicking them just made just put that extra pressure on all FC to, to get the extra points. And he only missed one kick in the in the whole game. And kicking has been such a problem for Rovers throughout the season, James. But he absolutely nailed them kicks. And I think that was a telling, um, a, a ringing endorsement of really Rovers' dominance, the fact that mm. his kicking helped just keep the pressure on them throughout the game. It did. It just started, like I say, just putting that extra gap between us and making it even more hard for, come, come, for them to come back. But also the other, the other side of it is, you know, every two points he gets improves the, improves the points difference. And that's going to, become, going to become critical, I think, towards, you know, get towards the end of the season. You know, that middle of the table is going to be very tight between several clubs and points difference is going to come into it. But, you know, certainly. Um, and getting those kicks is, good, is going to be helpful, going to be great, helpful. Yeah, and Johnny, it'd be uh, remiss of me to, to say without you being on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure you put a tweet out. I don't know what the tweet I, was. I, yeah. Player, and you put Lachlan Koo. I, I, I just miss him. Were gutted, weren't they, when he left? Um, he was gutted I, when he left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Johnny, do you know what? We've seen glimpses of what he can do in a Rover shirt. I think this spell he's had in the opening few games of the season is is what we expected him to be for yeah. his full course. Yeah. Um, and if he carries on like he is this season, uh, I mean, there's talk of him retiring at the end of the season. This could be his swan song. <laughs> um, but I'm sure he's a player that you'd you'd probably welcome back at Saints. 
Uh, well, the tweet you you questioning was a, a viral tweet by a girl who just put "I miss him," obviously on about <laughs> her ex or whatever, and everyone was putting up pictures of like the favorite players. And Lachlan Koo is one of my favorite all time players for Saints, not just because he started his career at Penrith, but also he, he he's he's just a person that he's just a nice bloke as well, and he's so good on the pitch. Um. I mean, what he did for, for Saints is change the game from the Ben Barber show to the St. Helens show. He put St. Helens first rather than the likes of Benny Barber, who was the showman. He could do everything and anything. Coop was a team player, is a team player. He always has been. He's got the playmaking abilities of Barber, but without sort of his style of play. he's And his infield kicking as well as off the tee was so vital to us. It's something that Saints have lacked ever since he left, was is the kicking boot of him. Because then, I know you've got Jordan Abdul, but his in-game kicking for us was a huge part of them, to, them their title wins and the Challenge Cup win in the end. He's... He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player and character, and I, I really do miss him. I think I, f- I think Saints only offered him a one-year deal and less money than the Rovers, but Rovers offered him more money and a two-year deal. He even went to Saints. Look, he went, give me two years, I'll accept your contract. And Saints went, look, we can't we can't hinder the development of Wellsby. So that that's kind of the reason you got him was it was the technicality of years he loves our club we love him and but he he loves rovers just as much because everywhere he goes to he puts his heart into and i think that's why you've got to kind of cherish players like him because he will do everything for your club everywhere he's gone penrith north queensland saints he's always put the club first before himself and i think that that's just vital to him yeah and James, I think if um, Jordan Abdul kicks with a sledgehammer, I suppose um, I don't know. Does Coop kick with a kick, feather foot? Because he's got that bit of class. He's just got that bit more guile, hasn't he, with his kicks in an attacking play? Yeah, yeah. They just seem, they just seems so effortless, don't they? So where, like I say, whereas um, Abdul, it's all about you know putting the fear of God into the uh, into the defender. With the with the height he gets on his, I think you know, say Coots are a lot more subtle and more. But I think putting the pressure on the opposition in a different way, just really getting forcing them to think about where it's going to go and what how they're going to hell they're going to run it out, which you know obviously creates its own pressure and its own. It is a different pressure to to, uh, to to something Abdul's doing. So I think you know with both Coot and and Abdul and obviously Lewis as well, you know I think we've got you know very three three very potent uh, strike forces. Yeah. yeah, Jordan Abdul's kicking game reminds me of a well. Obviously, I, I was too young at the time, but the uh, Bobby's bombs. It seems to me like Jordan Abdul just does it every single week for fun, <laughs> and it really worry. does James, change. James, you. Remember them? <laughs> yeah, <I> do yeah. <laughs> so it kind of, kind of just like that infamous final, and it just seems like Abdul does it every week, yeah, just to torment the the, uh, the defenders. <laughs> I think it was a real good point as well now is that it's not actually 
Jordan Abdul's kicking now, he's got a psychological edge. It's the thought of it. Anyone he comes up against. Yeah. He only has to nail one or two kicks before yeah. the rest of the team start thinking, shit, every kick he's going to do now is going to yeah. be that. And, he, and he's almost playing a psychological battle. Whether that is what he's actually doing or whether that's just how it manifests itself. Yeah. But, it, but, it's, but it seems to wear, though, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, it sort of gave, gave Leeds nightmares. And you can probably argue that that kick he put in, that shawl cocked up on Friday, was really the catalyst for Hull's implosion. Yeah, it was. And um, James, I mean, we're going to round up now because it's a. it was a fantastic day, um, fantastic result. Um, there is, sl- I just want to touch on it very um, shortly because it, it, I thought it was a, an important thing. And it's all this bottle throwing, oh. pint throwing. I don't know if Johnny's experienced it at, yeah. at Wigan. It's, I've seen it at gigs, you know, going to see bands and stuff. I didn't like it then. I have to wear a fucking rain jacket to go to a, a gig indoors. Um, you know, I was stood with our lass. She got covered in a bit of beer. Yeah. I won't take my son to the derby because for the same reason, if he got covered in a pint of lager, I wouldn't be happy. Um, and it just seems to be something that's creeping into the game a bit more and more. And when we tell people this is a family game, and I put that in inverted commas, you know, it's not a family game when people are quite happy to chuck beer, chuck lager, albeit in celebration. It won't in anger, but it just seems to be something that's creeping into our game and it needs eradicating from our fan base and it needs eradicating from rugby league in general. Yeah. It needs so, eradicating totally, from yeah, totally all agree. aspects. Yeah, I totally agree. I, just, I, I mean, I just don't get it. can't get it. You know, if you can spend, afford to spend five over £5 on a pint, why would you want to chuck it? Uh, you know... It just beggars belief, and you know we were, we were in the West Upper, and we were getting showered by it. So that you know they've just been indiscriminate. Mm. It is. It's just yeah. It just 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 sickens it, and just put a bit of you know a bit of a dampener on the day. Um, literally. Hmm? literally. Literally, yeah. Literally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather not come and have a stinking a beer and tell the missus think I've gone down the pub instead of watching the game. Yeah. <laughs> all all I can think of is that Carlin's that shit. People would be. Are that ready to throw it rather yeah. than drink it? Yeah. Um, but anyway, Probably. that's a side note. But hopefully, if anyone's listening to this and they did chuck a bottle, chuck a pint, yeah. stay just away. before you do it next time, think about it because you're not chucking it over yourself, you're chucking yeah. it over somebody yeah. else. And somebody yeah. Well, the RFL are going to investigate it, aren't they? The RFL are going to investigate it. Um, well, do you know what, James? I'm sure I think Rovers have got a, a suspended fine. That's, that's what I mean. So they've got a suspended fine over them already for something at happened before. So they're going to get fined. That means that's less money that they can spend on the team. So if yeah. you think you think it's great to throw a bottle at the game, think about that. Yeah, exactly. Johnny, um, hopefully Saints fans won't be chucking pants and bottles on Friday night because they won't have anything to celebrate. Um, it's been a bit of an indifferent season, hasn't it, for St. Helens? Do you know it's what? Been I absolutely loved watching the World Club Cup. I thought it was a oh. fantastic game. The game was absolutely brilliant. Um, the easy thing to say is they'll play that game and Saints will have a hangover. To the credit, they came over, came back from that, they beat Castleford, but they've not really hit the straps yet, have they? they hit the straps, mate. That That's an understatement. It's the it's so frustrating at the minute, and I kind of did a whole podcast on it on on my own channel the other day, just because I have to wear my frustrations at the fans too, because 
we are such a self-entitled bunch. You see it online and it, it's becoming a bit of a pain at the minute. Um, but it's it's te- it's teaming issues, mate. You've got a brand new coaching set up. You know, people were calling for Christian Wolf's head after five games. Mm. And it's like, imagine if we got rid because of your utter idiocy because there's no other word for it and you only have to see what him and Wayne Bennett are doing at the moment exactly mate you only have to see what he did with Tonga like before he even joined Saints and it's like it's like that with Welland you've got a whole new you've got Fraser New you've got Talbot you've got Paul Welland you've got a brand new assistant and coach you've got to implement changes and you've got to do that over time and that's the, only, the the saving grace for Wolf was that COVID happened and he could implement all these changes in an, in basically another off season, wasn't it really? So I think with with Paul Wellens, he's already gone there. He's won the World Club Challenge. Um, he's he's earned the right to you know tweak his team how he wants to, and it's up to us to trust the process. And um, we've also had a lot of poor discipline that's really really hit us but in attack it's it's not the best and our defensive structures change completely you know there's no intensity anymore since that Leeds game when there was the late hits there was the simbinins and red cards for Hurrell it's like since then we we've last year and the year before Saints were in the defense in the attacking line before the before the balls even come out of the of the rook, you know what I mean, and and nowadays, the past few games anyway, it's been like the attackers have made like six seven meters before that contact's hit, so teams are getting easy yards, but because of our scrambling defense, and it is such a good scrambling defense, we're managing to keep the points tallies low, so it's it's a strange strange season, but we've just gotta just gotta put up with it in the minute and and um. And persevere, I think. Yeah, one one four lost three, fifth in the table. I mean, context. You played one game less than Rovers, and you're only two point behind Rovers. So, you know, you've got to factor that in. We've talked about Morgan Knowles being banned. Um, I think James, though, big stat is we haven't beat Saints for 13 games. You have to go back to 2015 when we beat them 24 points to 22 at home. I mean, it's a terrible record, isn't it? To, it, it, it is because I think it's quite ironic that I, I think in the few years up to that 2015 season, I think we'd actually got quite a good record against them, particularly at home. I think they went about yeah. five seasons where we beat them every 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 year, and then since then, yeah, it's just. But records are there to be broken, aren't they? You know, it's got to it's going to end sometime. Um, I think you know, looking at where Saints are now and the sort of I think you know the players you're going to have out, they're going to have out on Friday night. And I think, you know, if, if that's gonna if we're gonna beat him, it's probably this week's as good as good a time as any. I think. Yeah, and let's go on to that squad news then. So for I mean, to be fair, both teams are really mm. uh, suffering a little bit with players missing for either injury or suspension. For Rovers, um, the big news is that no Sam Wood, uh, a player who, who's performed admirably over the last few weeks in a variety of positions, um, he's not been risked. Uh, Jimmy Kynost, uh 
uh, Phoenix Lohai Tohai. He comes back in. Corey Hall's named in the squad for the very first time this season. Um, and then for St. Helens, Mataltier, Cyrano, uh, Parsley. They're all missing. Um, called up are Baxter, Hill, uh, Buckley. Uh, is it Booin? Booins? Boons? Broins. Wait, Boins. Broins. Uh, <laughs> are we at a point, Johnny, where the Saints, <clears throat> Helens, um, 18 almost picks itself now? Is, is the is the team almost that predictable for Friday? Mate, absolutely not. I put a tweet out before. Uh, I can't remember what it said, but I, I think it's forwards roulette at the minute. Um, our, our strongest put assets been our forwards for the past few years, and and that, right now we're missing Siren and Metaltia, like you say. So it's whether you go with <coughs> me personally. I'd have Lusick starting, um, and then potentially have. The likes of Wingfield at 13, Sam Royal starting with Bell, uh, Bell Wingfield, um, and Royal with Lusick, Iggy, and then it's prop forwards. It's whether you go with the likes of Delaney starting, a young 19 year old lad, or whether you go with the likes of Buckley to make his only his second appearance for Saints. Mm. It, it's it's weird, or do you put Comrade Hurrell in at second row and put Opawati in at full at centre? And then, you know, I think there's many different ways. And honestly, this squad I really can't predict. Um, I think you kind of got to go with the positions you've got. And I'd rather see an academy lad come in that's played that position, you know, that, that is his normal position, rather than shifting Hurrell there. But then you lose impact off the bench. So it's a real selection headache, I think, for the team, uh, for Wellens and Fraser New to make. Um, but yeah, I'd really like to see Lussick start this game. I think we need pace out at nine, because our ruck speed, although Roby's been superb, I think our ruck speed at the minute's really lacking. So I think someone with a bit of pace in Lussick can kind of utilise that um, and get us some metres up the pitch as well. Because, I mean, you've seen it when he came on at Wigan. Like, we managed to make them breaks. And and I really feel like we need we need a bit of pace out the rook. He changed the game at Wakefield for us. And, like, I know Wakefield aren't exactly the best team to use it as an example to rack up points. But, um, yeah, I'd really, really like to see him start. And I'd like to see Iggy Parsi please put on a show. I think he's been very quiet considering last year he had a superb season and, and should have really been in the dream team. Um, yeah, so I'd like to see him him have a real belter of a game. Sirenan's yeah. a massive loss. And James, I'll get Johnny's opinion on this, but from a, from outsiders looking in, like we're saying, it's normally it'd be one player injured, right, don't, don't worry about it, next one off the conveyor mm. belt just yeah. steps up. Where it seems, James, at the moment, there's a bit of adversity in the team selection and... and um, James, do you think this is maybe our best opportunity to get a result against St. Helens? We'll go on to Rovers' uh, injuries, suspensions, etc. because there's a lot of disruption <laughs> in our camp, but maybe this could be the best time to play St. Helens. I think, I think, I think it is. I think it is. And say, say having so many changes is, is, is bound to disrupt them, but then about the same thing, you have to realise that if anybody is ever going to... If whoever pulls on a Saints chair... Has come through a system, come through mm. processes, and you know they're going to be bloody good. 
100% in. It's just like it was like last year when they played, uh, basically played the full academy against Castleford and just like nearly, nearly beat them, really. Because they've got that quality player. They've always got that quality player coming through. So I think, yes, they have got adversity and it is probably the best chance Rose have got to beat to to beat to beat them since 2015, but by the same token, I think Rover still will still need to be playing their top game to 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 uh, to to, to, you know, to win, really. Yeah, and Johnny, I suppose you know the, the same the same question to you almost uh, that normally you'd be used to a conveyor belt of talent, boom, 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 so and so out, put so and so in, and you won't worry about it. Where there just seems to be a bit more anxiety around the Saints fan base around who's coming in, why they're coming in and, and, and the position Saints might be in right at this moment? Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit, but I also think that's a lot because um, like, a, not many of our fans know the, know the academy as well as, as well as they kind of think. Um, Delaney has been well, he's been outstanding the two games he's played. He was he was one of our standout performers against Wigan when he came on, and he he for me was someone who we we was excited to see come into the squad, and he he'd been in the, you know, the twenty one man squad for a good few weeks, and everyone was like, come on, is is he is he starting? Um, the likes of Buckley, he only got picked up at eighteen when he was playing for Fatto, so he he's a bit later on the developing scale. So, but he he's rightfully rated, and then uh, some of the halfbacks as well. We've got another young lad in. Uh, well, we've got two. We've got Moss and Roberts. They're two superb uh, young players who who would step up if ever there's an injury to Dodd or Lomax. So it's not necessarily a worry. It's kind of more. Um, I suppose it is a bit of an anxiety because. A lot of people haven't seen them as much or haven't heard much about them, but that's mainly due to the fact that the under nineteens and reserve grade was through COVID. They never played many games, so a lot of these players are a couple of years, you know, without training and play, uh, without playing matches. So this is like this is more to do with that. I think this is what's bringing on this anxiety. I've no doubt that whatever kids we pick. Will come out there and do a job, and like you say, with the with the Castleford game that we sent out the academy lads, and most of them had played two games in two years. That was it, and it, it it's kind of like it is the Saints' way of doing it, and there is that famous saying, "Never ever write off the Saints," and and I think that's that's important for Friday as well. It was important. I've the last time I said this. Well, I said this, but the last time I wrote Saints off, like I have on Friday, I think Hulk KR will win. The last time I wrote them off, they won a World Cup challenge. So <laughs> hopefully that happens again. <laughs> well, and, I, and to be fair, Johnny, I can appreciate why you were both games are in the same bracket. Yeah, I can appreciate. You know, <laughs> the most important games in rugby league. So it's uh, it's understandable why the why you put them up there. But to be fair, James, um Sam Wood's missing, so you'd put Louis Senior straight in there. Yeah. Um Jesse Sue missing, Matty Stoughton's a, a replacement yeah. because um Bachelor, you've got Frankie Holton. Yeah. There's a doubt though of uh, Sean Kenny Dow with his ribs. Um and Willie Peters mentioned Reese Kennedy with his hamstring. 
take them two out, and then all of a sudden you've got big problems, haven't you? When you're trying to 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 you're starting to put square pegs in round holes to cover them. I mean, that they, they look likely to be available and ready to play, but when you get into that situation, you're starting to go. You know, it, it's a bit more serious than we first thought. Yeah, is I think I think yeah, if Kenny Dowell's out, I think for me the obvious one to go in is Corey Hall. You know, is you know we obviously the obvious thing he's got the ability to uh, to step up into that to that level, and he showed it at Wakefield. So, and they wouldn't have signed him otherwise. So, yeah, I think he'll get a chance. But I think yeah, in the forwards, it could be that's when it does probably start to get a bit dicey. Uh, because you know we have had a bit of lot of stability in there, so the question is if Kennedy is out, do you bring Luckley in as as a staff, and then you know, or do you bring Hadley in? It, yeah, it does suddenly start. We do start to sort of look a bit light in the forwards again, um, and you think you're well, actually you're probably bringing in maybe Jimmy Kynos into to, on the on the bench, but you know gives you a bit of a, a lot of lighter bench that we've had in in previous games. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, Kenny Dowell and um, and um, was it will be all right. Reece Kennedy, Kenny will be all right. Yeah, yeah. That's worst case scenario, James. And yeah. by all accounts, Willie Peter said that they've looked after him in training and yeah. should be there. Um, it's still a very strong lineup. And do you know what? Um, I think it's very telling. Um, I didn't spot it on Good Friday, but about how Frankie Halton looked a bit of a full-on character in the celebrations, etc. And we talk about how one door closes and another one opens. Yeah. And I really think this is an opportunity now for Frankie Halton to, to really stake a claim for his place in the team. And what better time to do it than against the World Club champions on Friday night at Craven Park. So I'm really looking forward to Frankie Halton playing, James. I mean, he should be playing. I can't see any reason why he wouldn't. Uh, he's a player who's not let the Robins down. He came from Featherstone, of course, and he's he's been a real a real shining light for not just Rose, but I think for for players who come from the Championship mm. and come into Super League. And for me, he's a, a ready-made replacement for James Batchelor. And it's if he plays well, Batchelor might have a a bit of a quandary on his hand whether he gets back into the team on uh, post his uh, suspension. Yeah, to, to, totally agree. I think, you know, going back to, you know, signing Halton from, from Featherstone, I think, you know, he came as a bit, I think the, the feeling at the time was he was going to be a bit of a squad player. I think he was on the bench in the first game, that first game against Wigan last year. But then when he got his chance, he just became, you know, he was absolutely, absolute, you know, outstanding and fully deserved his place in the team. And I think, in, in a way, actually highlights probably the strength and depth we've got this season, that somebody of Frankie's quality, is struggling to get in the in the in the in the seventeen. Um, I think he started on the bench at the beginning of the season, didn't he? And I think was it against Lee when he made his first start? We got two tries. Which game he got two tries in? Um, but you're right. He's going to come in and he's got to bust a gut. I think to 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 show to Peters that he is that worth that spot. And yeah, and Peters always talking about people are going to get players are going to get picked on merit. And if you're doing a good job, then you're going to stay in that team. So if his plays is his, I think it'd be his place to lose with Bachelor, when Bachelor comes back. And Johnny, if I'm right in thinking, you're coming to the game on Friday night. Yes, first time at Craven Park. As so well. other than the uh, sights of the M62 and the journey, <laughs> what else you're looking forward to uh, coming to on on a Friday night in Eastall at Craven Park? 
what else are you looking forward to? And it's going to be raining oh, as well. <laughs> yeah, well, well, at least at least that away end's no longer what it was. I, I've heard stories about that all the way, and it's now uh, Craven, Craven Street, Street or something Street, like that. Yeah, yeah. So looking forward to having a beer. Uh, that's that. That'll be a a good sight. And yeah, I'm just excited to go again there. Um, I've always well, I always like boycotting clubs that I don't like. Um, and I never used to like Hull KR because I thought they were very inward looking and very um close minded when it came to both expansion and the growth of the game. And ever since this change of business plan and business model, it's really, really, like I say, it, it's it's made me forgive a lot of the past because now they're striving for a better future for the game. And I think it was time to uh, release that boycott and go go see some of my uh, OKR mates that are made on Twitter because apparently you all like praise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, instead of a ticket in the north stand, Johnny, you want to get in the east stand, get in the east <laughs> and we'll hold you up aloft at, uh, as a place. <laughs> Almost like um, uh, Joseph is an amazing technical dream coat. We'll put you up there as a... <laughs> <laughs> But no, seriously, I think it is a point worth making. And, and you know what, I'm sick of hearing, hearing about shit like Keithley Cougars and, and, and yeah. what you should do about you know, IMG and all. I think ultimately... There's, there's, the game isn't held by IMG. The game will still exist, whatever IMG do with Super League. What that looks like and what it is, is different probably to what people might want it to be. But there's a realisation that not every single rugby league club exists can be professional. Not every no. rugby league club exists can make the profits that they want to make, etc., etc., and that's not unique to rugby league. That's sport. That's that's life. Yeah, not everyone can earn what they want to earn. And at the, at some point, um, there's got to be a realization that rugby league is a business. And yeah. and I think what you've just alluded to there is Johnny is that what Rovers have done is they've grabbed the bull by the arms and said, well, if we want to be a prominent club that sustains itself and generates income, we've got to do something ourselves. Uh, yeah, to make that happen. I think uh, I think Toronto genuinely are your saving grace um, in that I think they gave your club a lot of ideas in how it should be done. Um, uh, you guys played them, didn't you, in the championship? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, because I remember, I can't remember who, who did the interview. It might have been um, your owner, but he said he was like, he was captivated by the match day experience and how they bring the fans there and how they've in, how they brought them to the ground and with the beer garden in the in one of their stands and then next thing, you know, Craven Street's been created and and he's realised that kind of there is money to be made in rugby league if you invest it in the right areas and I think especially with a city like like well an area of the city like East Hull you've got a lot of fans that will plough money into the club. And also, if you make that transition to go, no, we want we want to be bigger on the grander scale, that then brings in better players, which makes the competition better, which then makes the competition more commercial to TV rights, which then brings in more money. Because at the end of the day, if TV rights, without it, we won't be a full-time sport. 
there's not enough owners to bankroll it to do that. That's why Argyle pulled out of Toronto when COVID happened. And, and it's all like, if there's no money to be made, people won't just put the monies in for for the sake of it. Um, and, and, and like, like I said, I just think, I think Hull KR are doing everything. I put a tweet out going, Hull KR should be the flagship for the IMG business model because of where they've come from and the kind of, the, the, the sheer change of business plan that they've done and and the club really need to be praised for that and they need to be kind of shown to clubs like Keithley, Featherstone that go look the, there's money to be made there's there's a way to go about business but they don't have the catchment area that Hull have which is another problem for them so they would they, like like you said rugby league needs them clubs to be part time they need them to grow the amateur clubs, uh, grow the amateur players, grow them up into a standard, and then to go up higher into the commercial zone of Super League because there's rugby league can't survive without them clubs and it can't survive and it can't survive, you know, on that scale. There's just not not the player development for that. The money needs to be going into the other areas of of youth development trickling up mm. then it's in, to the it's game. interesting James what Johnny said there because that when I look at Rovers um I don't think we're ever going to be a club that attracts necessarily 12,000 crowds every week because mm. even when you look back to the 80s the 70s I think even the Queensland game when we beat them I think there was only about six six or seven thousand six and a half, six and half thousand there yeah. yeah which is incredible mm. really um I think but what I think Rovers have been really smart at is how to get more money out of the people who already go to the game, how to exactly. get more money out of the sponsors who already exist. Yeah, let's pull in new ones, but how mm. can we? And I, and I wonder if, if that's a model for Super League in general. So, Johnny, I mean, we talk about expansion. We talk about, right, let's put a team in Newcastle. Let's put a team in Dublin. Let's put a team on the fucking moon, you know. But actually, do we do enough to get, do we capitalise enough on the do we the, bollocks? The areas we're in. Do we bollocks? And, mm. and I think you, that is not a, a market we do nothing already. You, you look at you look at Saints, Wigan, right? Wigan, Greater Manchester, Saints, Merseyside, right? Why are the games like Catalan? Why are we giving them to just clubs in the St. Ellen's region? Why are we not going into the Liverpool region and going, hey, is a free ticket to the game. Come watch Saints, bring a bring a family member, you and your dad or your parent or guardian or whatever, come, because all it takes is one good game of rugby league to get a fan hooked. Mm. And if you give them tickets and then they'll tell their mates and then they'll tell them and then they go, oh, there's a great, great night out there. There's a great day. You know, it's a great sport. And then you get more eyes on the screen that way. And you've got so many different catchment areas just in. That's why I hate, I hate teams like, Wakefield, Castleford, Featherstone that are all in and around the same they've all got the same postcode. They've all they're all in the same catchment area. They can do more for their fans to bring them to the game mm. like Hull are doing. Yeah. But then you've got teams like um Wigan, like I say, that are in Greater Manchester, Salford going into the local community. Salford are doing that a lot more, but they haven't got the finances to go and do that even to a greater standard. So and then Huddersfield, like 
Huddersfield is a cash-rich club. He will always pump his money into it because he loves the club. But what happens when he passes away? Does it? What what eventually happens to that club? Because it can't be sustainable with the three thousand fans they get. The season tickets are two hundred and fifty quid each. It, it it that that isn't a sustainable business model. So you look at clubs like that; they can be doing more in the football towns and cities to go and do it. And then you've got little villages in their surrounding areas, and and that to me is it's vital for our sport that we give them more. That's what Beaumont's doing great at at the minute. Although I'm not his biggest fan, because he did nearly liquidate the club and refused to pay players. But that's a different story altogether. What he's doing right now with the match day entertainment is bringing in fans and and you know what it's ticket prices are more but i think people will pay more to go for stuff like that and 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 it's really having a trigger effect with other clubs salford are trying to put on bands but not pay them and then you've got like <clears throat> but but you know what i mean the trying at yeah. least and then you've got saints have a band on every single game we've got like a section of our home stand that's now been sectioned off as like a little band area so you've got that and then in teams and are trying to do more to develop that match the experience to make more money and i think it's vital and that craven street's obviously been a great addition for for you guys because it's got local businesses involved and and it's great for the community as a whole and it just brings it up yeah james can't help thinking that uh when when Rovers got the ratings on on Good Friday, we were trailblazers for getting all these bands yeah. on. Uh, I would have thought that going from the ratings at Craven Park on Good Friday, you got to Pau playing at uh, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've got, I think they've got scouting for Girls X. But James, before we wrap up, what, what do you reckon? Are we talking sense? What would you do? What would I do? For, to do what? Get, get more people in? Yeah, no, just IMG, Rugby League, you know, all, all this expansion. For me, it's, it's difficult because although it sort, of, it's, it sort of sounds it sounds great to have different clubs in you know, far-flung areas, I think without the foundations in the amateur game and the, the, and the grassroots and people just having that interest, you, you're never going to get a critical mass. You know, talk about London again. How many times have we been to London? I think, you know... I'd love to see a successful team in London. You know, don't get me wrong. I'd, lo- I'd love to see see one there, but it, you know, it's been tried over the years, and you know, we've got we nearly got there with the Broncos and Harlequins before, before that, as well before that. But for whatever reason, it's just not really taken off. And I think we still do need to focus in on you know where our strengths are. And our strengths are, are the community clubs, and I think you know what Rovers have done in the past with trying to you know get more people into the ground. You know, like I said, they're, they're doing it with a matching experience, but even things like ticket offers, you know, last season we had a, like a, you could get members could get a, get a ticket for a quid to bring, to bring uh, other, for the, for the mates to come along. Mm-hmm. We had 10 and a half thousand people there for, against Warrington on a Friday night. Um, and the Wigan game at the beginning of the season, you know, they had like uh, members again could get discounted tickets for, 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 for the family and friends. At about you know, nine thousand there, so it's for me it's those sort of things. And as you said, you know, once to get people come in, they might come in on a discounted ticket. But if they get hooked, and if they're at the game, they buy you know they're buying merchandise, they're buying from the from the bars, they get hooked. They're going to come again. They're going to want to come again. And then you know, two or three games full price, and then they're buying a season ticket, and then they're hooked. 
Excellent, James. And do you know what? We hadn't even managed to get uh, <laughs> round to talking about Will Tate joining Castleford Tigers. We hadn't yeah. even mentioned that the women's side beat uh, Dewsbury 32 points to 16 on Good Friday, the same time that Rovers were playing uh, at Hull FC. They're at home on Sunday against Sheffield Eagles. The reserves are in action at Castleford on Saturday. Johnny, you know what? I feel like this is a conversation that could go on and on yeah. and on. <laughs> Probably <laughs> can, but I'm up early. <laughs> yeah, but there's so much to talk about in rugby league. You know what? I think Friday is is lining up to be a real humdinger. You know what? Yeah, I hope can't wait. The game does it uh, does it justice because I know there's a lot of anticipation in East Hull. Uh, we haven't even talked about how good it is that they're not playing on Easter Monday and. Oh. That, that could have Superb. been a whole other podcast in its own right. <laughs> I know for a fact, if we had a place on Easter Monday, Rovers would have been absolutely on the knees Fuck. in terms of, yeah, <laughs> because of the injuries and tensions. And it Same. isn't what the game is about. It's about saving up the best possible mm. product and hopefully we'll yeah. see that. And, yeah. and that, really got, really that, that, that got proven in there. Yeah. Yeah. That got proven really, in the crowd. Really numbers. Games, some really good games that yeah. weekend, you know. Yeah, and do you know what? I think that is probably IMG's replacement for Magic Weekend. Yeah. That round of fixtures. Yeah. Um, as much as people might like Magic Weekend, I think that is what they'll go to because it allows them to focus on things like the Challenge Cup final, the Grand Final, away from Magic Weekend. Well, yeah, people... but it's simple, simple rebrands. They can have that and then they can have a redemption round. So all it is is the exact same thing, just you know, it, it's well, just it, rebranding. It's rebranding rounds that are already happening. So rather than saying, NRL, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, lads, it's been a fantastic podcast, Johnny. I'm looking forward to speaking cheers. to you again, James. Of course, y'all are my favourite guest ish. <laughs> you said that to everybody, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you guys have been listening to the Red Robin Podcast Weekly. A huge thanks to everyone who's tuned in on Facebook and YouTube and everyone who's listening on the podcast. We are, of course, powered by Budget Size Autos Centre and 360 Chartered Accountants. But for now, please remember, live, love, laugh and be happy.